Well, can you open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 13, starting with verse 31, John chapter 13, the title of our message this morning, Love One Another. And as you're turning in your Bibles, I just want to say a happy birthday to one Al Pino. It is his birthday today, and just want to say it to my friend. Uh, Al turns 37 today, <laughs> give or take a couple of decades, and uh, Al, you are much more than a co-laborer. You are a good, good friend, and that which I'm speaking about this morning, you have showed me in so many ways how to love one another, so I respect you deeply, bro. Happy birthday, and while I'm doing birthday shouts i got to say happy birthday, too, to, I believe, Miguel Mendez, his birthday today, and Becky Gonzalez as well. I don't know if she's here, so it is the birthday day. Ah, great. Well, today we're going to be talking about the second portion of our mission statement as a church in our series on mission with the gospel. What is our mission statement? It is this, connecting people to God, to one another, and to neighbor through Christ Jesus. We're going to be looking at that one another piece this morning. If we want to be a church that is on mission with the gospel, we will be a church that is connected to one another. In other words, to use Christ's own language, we will be a church that loves one another. Let's look now at John chapter 13, starting with verse 31, and I'll read through verse 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself. And glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray, church. Oh, Lord, love one another. In many ways, it's not complicated but neither is it easy. Lord, my heart this morning is that we would not just be hearers of the word, but we in fact would be doers, that we would be lovers. So Lord, give us grace, even as we sung this morning. Give us grace now to hear and give us grace to live out that which you ask of us. In Christ's power and name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, connection or connecting. In some ways, we as a society are obsessed with connecting with one another. Many of you here have Facebook friends or LinkedIn contacts. Or you just rely on text messaging. You've probably heard the stats or something similar. Smartphone owners aged 18 to 24 years of age send on average 2,022 texts per month. That means 67 texts per day. And receive another 1,831 texts every month. Well, personally, I can verify this number. I receive 67 text messages from Al alone every day. 
And he would tell you, yeah, Corey, and you respond to about two of them. <laughs> but that's another conversation, isn't it? Uh, well, the phenomenon of texting has led to an injury now dubbed texting thumb. You heard it. To quote one source, I love this, it is a repetitive stress injury. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. Repetitive stress injury. 2,000 texts a month, that's repetitive. That affects the thumb and affects the wrists, where pain and sometimes a popping sound are present. We are obsessed. For some, connection's all about staying in touch, literally staying in touch with one's smartphone or the touch of one's iPad or the click of a mouse. But for some, connection's not about technology at all. It's about personality, right? It's about one's ability to connect, referring to a a person's interpersonal warmth, their relatability, their extroversion, or we might say their charisma. But here's the question. What if you don't text much, like me? What if you're not on Facebook much, like me? What if you don't have a magnetic personality? It's not me. What if you're not extroverted? I fail there. Can anyone relate to that? Anyone relate to that? Okay, thank you, thank you. Well, I just want to say, if you can, I'm right there with you. But I also want to say this. There is hope. There's hope for you, and there's hope for me. You see, the connection that we're talking about here at Palm Vista, and biblically speaking, it's so much deeper. It transcends social media, smartphones, personalities, or friendship clicks. It's a connection that goes to the heart. It's a connection that is forged by a mutual love for our Savior and a love for one another. See, here's the reality, church. You can be the friendliest person in the world and truly not be connected to people. You can be surrounded by people and yet be lonely and feel isolated. On the other hand, you can be one of the most socially awkward or shy people. You can be technologically illiterate, and yet you can still be vitally connected to one another. Why? Because at its core, connecting to one another is about loving one another. And that's really my simple main point this morning. It's the title of the message. It's in our text. Love one another. You see, in our passage that we read this morning in John 13, Christ is in his last days on earth. He's about to leave his disciples, his children, knowing that they cannot follow him. We know from the setting of this text that it's said in the last week of Christ's life that the cross is clearly on Christ's mind. His march to Calvary, where he's about to be crucified, is almost complete. So much so that he could say in John 13, 31, now, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. How is Jesus to be glorified and God in him? It's through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. At the cross where Christ would be crucified bearing the wrath of God for you, for me, in our place, and redeeming a people for himself. There the glory lies. You see, here in the text, in the shadow of the cross, we have one of Christ's final commands given to his disciples before his entrance into glory. Christ has his marching orders from the Father. Go to the cross. And now Christ is giving his marching orders to his disciples. What are they? You ready? We read it. He says this in verse 34. 
A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. That's it. Your final command? Love one another. Those are his departing instructions. Does that surprise you at all? I mean, it kind of sounds like me leaving the house with my wife on a date night, talking to my kids who are going to remain in the house. Although I don't necessarily say, love one another. It's more like, don't kill one another. But it's still the same. Guys, love one another, prefer one another, until I get back, okay? Well, we hear these words from Christ. But stepping back for a moment, I might have expected something else from Jesus. I might have thought him saying, hey guys, remember me. Remember me. I'm going, but tell people what I've said and what I've done, and go make disciples. You've probably heard that before, haven't you? Well, Christ did say that. It's called the Great Commission, found in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. It's what Al spoke on last week. But first things first, please hear this. The mission to go is preceded by the mission to love one another. The mission to go make disciples is preceded by the command to go love his disciples. In fact, as we'll see, they go hand in hand, part and parcel of the very same mission. I want to spend our time this morning teasing out this command to love one another as informed by the text. Why? Because we, the church, are to connect people to one another. It's implicit, isn't it? That we must be connected to one another. And thus, we must understand and know who those one another's are in our life. And that forms point number one. It's really a question. Who are the one another's that Christ is speaking about? That is mentioned in Scripture. You see, Jesus is speaking to his disciples here. He's not saying, love your neighbor. He says that elsewhere in many places, as we heard last week. No, he's saying, love one another. He's speaking to his followers, isn't he? And I believe that command extends to all who follow Christ today. It is command for his church, for you and for me, to love one another. This word or phrase, one another, if you're like me, it's probably not a word you've spent a lot of time really thinking about. I mean, you know, keep that phrase, one another, general. Keep it anonymous. Keep it undefined. And we we feel pretty safe, don't we? You know, keep love one another as simply a bumper sticker slogan. Kind of like pray for world peace. Keep it at that level. We feel pretty good, don't we? About ourselves. But let the one another's get close and personal to you. Start defining them. It's often another story, isn't it? I want to make the one another's personal this morning. Why? Because the one another's are personal to God. Christ brought and bought the one another's mentioned in Scripture. He purchased you. He purchased me. As we sang, by his blood, through his blood, shed on the cross. I want you to hear these words. You don't have to turn there, but they're from Ephesians 2, verse 13 and following. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Moving on to verse 15, following. That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Church, God is in the business of not just making us new creations individually, but by making us one new man or humanity called the church. 
Jews and Gentiles united by grace at the foot of the cross as one people. A people who belong to God and a people who belong to one another. Here's the point. The unity and the community that we share as a local church, as a church here at Palm Vista, has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Christian community that we're talking about. Palm Vista Community Church. That community is blood-bought. The relationships we share as Christians are blood-bought. The one another's of Scripture are blood-bought. Friends, you weren't just saved to Jesus. You were saved to one another. Friends, you weren't just converted to Jesus. You were converted to his family. One new humanity. For some of you, that may be a fairly new thought this morning. For others, like me, just need the reminder. So often we can speak and think about the gospel in almost exclusively individual terms. We speak individually about our conversion, our growth. Jesus saved me and reconciled me to God. Oh, yes, he did. That is absolutely true for those who put their saving faith in Christ Jesus and his reconciling work on the cross. But in reconciling you to him, he's also reconciled you to one another as well. What is often called in the New Testament, Christ's body or church. What we have in many ways, in our American evangelicalism today, is a disembodied Jesus. A Jesus with a real big head and little to no body. Just me and Jesus. That's all that really matters. I'm not the first to point this out or to make this analogy, but what we have in our culture today, in many ways, is a bobblehead Christianity. You know what I'm talking about? Those bobblehead dolls. I had one of those growing up. It was a San Francisco 49er football bobblehead. A guy with this big, massive 49er helmet and this small, diminutive little body. Now, it was kind of fun as a kid. It was fun to play around with. This giant head on a spring. But it bore no resemblance to an actual football player. It bore no resemblance to reality. It was totally unnatural and distorted. You know what else? It was actually quite freaky as well. <laughs> There's basically two things that freaked me out as a child, okay? Number one, it was that big picture of this clown that I had in my bedroom with that creepy grin and makeup, that big bulbous nose. He'd always be looking at me, even though it was underneath the sheets at night. And the second was that bobblehead on my dresser. It just, you know, just, just, it was so, you know, everything was shaking and the bobble, the head would be bobbling back and forth. Oh. Kind of freaks me out today still thinking about it. But church, likewise, we can have a distorted, diminished understanding of the gospel if we fail to recognize our identity as a people, as a body, the body of Christ. We too can have a bobblehead Christianity. When Christ saved us by his blood, he brought us into relationship with one another, with other Christians. I'm speaking about those right now who are in front of you, those who are in behind you, and those who are across the aisle from you right now. He bought that relationship. He bought that familial, family relationship. He bought that one another with his own blood. See that person next to you, across from you, behind you, before you? See, they may just be a, hey, bro, Buddy. I never used to say buddy until 
Well, my Mississippi friends. I think it was Jason and then Bam. I'm saying buddy all the time now. They may just say a buddy to you. Or maybe all they are to you is a handshake, a smile, a kiss, or a hug. But they belong to Jesus. And they also belong to you if you are parts of Christ's body, the church. They and you together make up these one another's. Do you know their name? I'm not asking if you have a perfect memory. I forget names. I'm asking if you care and recognize them for who they are. Those next to you, those in your community group, those you are standing in line next to when you're checking in in children's ministry, those on the setup team, those will be next to you in the breezeway after the service when you are chatting. Those next to you, beside you, who have most likely experienced the same life and death experience that you have. It's called salvation. You share a blood bond. You share an identity and a responsibility to one another that binds you together like nothing else. This binding that we share as believers is so deep that it transcends race, it transcends education, common hobbies, or even your own biological family. Oh, you may not naturally click with that person. I get it. You may not be able to relate to that person's upbringing or background. I get it. You may not even be able to speak that person's first language proficiently. Believe me, I get it. All those. But there is a bond that is stronger, that is tighter, that is deeper, that is more compelling than any of these potential barriers. It's the gospel. And friends, if you have never, ever, ever experienced that bond that I'm speaking about, Perhaps you were not saved. If you haven't been saved, there are no one another's in your life. There's only others. It's me and everyone else. And that's a lonely, lonely, indemnable place to be. But if this is you this morning, there is a whole new family awaiting you. A family of relationships, which begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this too can be yours in Christ Jesus. If you repent of your stubborn and fierce independence, of your do-it-my-way rebellion against God, it's called sin and place your saving faith in what Christ has accomplished for you at the cross. You too can be brought into this family. You too can be purchased by his blood. You too can experience the one another's that we are speaking about this morning. There's a whole new family to love you, for you to love, and for you to be loved by. And here's the great news. Jesus doesn't leave his disciples guessing as to how we are to love one another. Oh, he is clear. Let's look at verses 24. Verse 24 again of John 13. He says this, A new commandment I give to you. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Well, it begs the question, doesn't it? How had Jesus loved his disciples because we are to love as we have been loved by Christ. Well, how did Jesus love his disciples? Oh, in so many ways. In John 13, our text this morning, his love was manifested by serving and washing his disciples' feet. But the ultimate expression of his love was and is found at the cross. It says, if Jesus, he was almost there, he was looking 
to the cross. And he was projecting it back on his disciples, saying, The cross is the measure of my love for you. Now go and use that same measure to love one another. The command to love one another. In many ways, it wasn't new in one sense. But the standard of that love was. And it was Christ's death on the cross. Looking to the cross, we see two subpoints here. Number one, this love of Christ was a sacrificial love. And secondly, a covenantal love. Let's look first at his sacrificial love. Christ's command to love one another is a command to sacrifice. It is a command to die. Die to what? Die to self. Oh, that could mean physical death. I enjoy reading books like Fox's Book of Martyrs that recount the lives of early Christians who were martyred or killed for their faith for their love for their Savior, and for the love of the saints. Or mission biographies, such as John Patton and his work among the cannibals in South Pacific. When I read those things and those accounts, oh, it inspires me. It emboldens me. I can read those stories and say, yes, Lord, send me. Like Peter, the Apostle Peter in the Gospels, I can say, Christ, I will follow you wherever you go. Christ, I will lay down my life for you. But you know what? For most of us, the question isn't, are you ready and willing to go to the ends of the earth to die? The question is, are you ready to go across the aisle to say hello to that person, to pray for that person, to serve that person, to serve them when you are tired. And if you're a young parent right now, yeah, that's all of you, tired, 24-7, when you are tired. When it is inconvenient. You want busy around here? Busy? Yeah. If you're busy, it's always inconvenient to love and to serve. Or just when it hurts, and it hurts badly. We are called to die to self. In the words of Christ in Matthew 16, 24, are you willing to, quote, deny yourselves, take up our cross, your cross, and follow him? Are you willing to follow Christ, not only across the globe, but to follow Christ into that relationship, into that one another? right where God has placed you, right here in the local church at Palm Vista. So what does it look like to follow Christ into these one another's with the very people he has connected you with? I had all these illustrations. I just thought, you know what? I just want you to hear from Scripture what these one another's look like. There are at least 50 commands in the Bible that speak about what loving one another looks like. And I want to give you a sampling now from Scripture. I'm going to put it on the screen. I want, you to, I want it to wash over you. And I'm praying that God would just quicken your heart as you see these one another's. Be at peace with one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Rejoice with one another. Weep with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another. Counsel one another. Be joined to one another. Agree with each other. Wait for one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Carry one another's burdens. Be kind to one another. Ah, forgive one another. Submit 
to one another. Even greet, yes, greet one another. And we're not done yet. Teach, admonish each other. Encourage one another. What do you mean encouragement? Build up one another. Spur one another on. Offer hospitality to one another. Minister gifts to one another. Your gifts. Be humble toward one another. Confess your sins to one another. Bear with one another. Pray for one another. Fellowship with one another. In other words, love one another. John 13, verse 34. Friends, this is what loving one another looks like in the church. It's how we connect. It's a command spelled out in Scripture over and over and over again. So, are you connecting? But let's be honest. It's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, it's easy, or at least it's easier, to love someone, especially if you know they will reciprocate if they will love you in return. I mean, let's be honest, right? We love those who love us, don't we? But it's much more challenging, is it not, to love those who don't reciprocate your love, who don't respond to your initiative. It's all too easy to withhold love from those who do not give it. But we are called, church, to love one another. How? Just as Christ has loved us. And that's not only a sacrificial love, but it's an unconditional covenantal love as well. B, covenantal love. In our hearts, there can be, often unspoken, some working assumptions, a rule, and it operates like a contract in your heart. You do this for me, and I'll do this for you. I do this, and you return the favor. You respond this way, then of course, I will commit to you. I will love you. And if it doesn't happen, if it does not happen, this relational contract is null and void. Oh, the other person may not even know about it. But in your mind, it's null and it's void. That contract is dead. Friends, contracts are good and right if you're buying a home, if you're leasing a car, if you're entering into employment. Contracts are fine for businesses. They are fine for consumers. But they're not fine for the church. Church relationships are not a contract. The biblical command to love one another is not a contractual love. It's a covenantal love modeled after our Savior. Christ didn't love us because we first reached out to him. Christ didn't go to the cross because we were lovable. Christ didn't love us because we were able to morally or relationally hold up our side of the bargain. We didn't hold up our side of the bargain. And we cannot hold up our side of the bargain. That's why Christ did it for us. Christ loved us in our sin. Christ died for us in our sin. He did not choose us because we were holy and blameless. He chose to set his affection upon us because we were not holy and blameless. He did it to make us holy. Ephesians 1.4, that's why he did it. Some of you here this morning, you're just waiting for people to reach out to you. And by the way, if you are a guest, I hope a lot of people reach out to you. That's appropriate. I really hope they do. I want to reach out to you. I'd love to visit you after the service today at our guest reception (laughs) to connect with you personally. But some of you, you're holding back. 
You're holding them back. You have your relational terms and agreements. You know those 32 pages of fine print when you open up a bank account or a credit card application or just about buy anything on the internet these days? You have to print, agree. I mean, no one actually reads that. You got to say agree? Yeah. You got all that fine print. It's right here. It's your relational term of agreement. And it's long and it's detailed and there's a lot of fine print going on in your mind. And you look around and you don't see any one another's. You know what you see? You see breach of contract. You see breach of contract. You see breach of contract. You don't see one another's. You see breach of contract and how people in your mind have not lived up to their side of the bargain. Oh, I know. Been there. Done that. Still very tempted. I do understand. And you wonder why people aren't reaching out to you. What's the solution? It's this simple. It's this profound. Go love one another. Love one another. Not because you click with them. No. Not because they are your best of friend. No. Not because they love you just the way you want to be loved. No. But because Christ already has loved you that way. Sacrificially. Unconditionally. Covenantally. Well, perhaps you hear this and you feel like what I'm asking is not really me, it's scripture. You say, Corey, I've tried it. It's impossible. I know me. If you say that, know what I say? You're absolutely right. This is impossible. What we're talking about here is not natural. It's supernatural. That is what God is calling us to. You see, Christ isn't just the model of our love toward one another. He's also the means as well. He has given us his very spirit to accomplish the very things that he commands of us. Do you remember Paul's prayer? Paul's prayer back in Ephesians 3. Mark Prater spoke on it several weeks ago. Here's the center. And we could say the epicenter of his prayer. I'm just going to read it to you, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. That you may be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you may be rooted and grounded in what? In love. Whose love? Christ's love. Why would Paul pray for such spiritual power and filling? So you can love God and love one another. Listen to the conclusion of the prayer, the same prayer in Ephesians 3, verse 20. I love these words. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, Whose power at work within us? Christ's power, working how? Through love. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What is this far more abundantly that Paul is praying for? Could this far and more abundantly be your ability to love one another? as Christ has loved you for the glory of Christ and his church. I think that's exactly what it means, that we would experience his power to live out the gospel in unity and love. It's the very thing that Paul is talking about in the next three chapters of Ephesians. That's why he's praying in chapter three. He's going to spend the next three chapters talking about what it means to love one another and to walk in unity. He's praying for a far more abundantly power that you could ever produce in the natural, that you can't do. But he's praying it for you. Why? So you can go and love God and love one another and proclaim the gospel. That is the power that's available to you by Christ's Spirit who dwells you 
as he fills you and empowers you, as you walk out these commands and do what he's asked of you. And it's far more abundant than you can ever think or imagine in Christ Jesus. Bless not all. Not only have we been given Christ's supernatural love and power to love one another, we've been given the church. Remember our mission statement? Connecting people to one another through Jesus Christ. I've spent all our time so far speaking about what it means to be connected to, i.e. to love one another. But you see, Palm Vista exists to help you connect people to God. It exists to help connect people to God and to one another as well. That's one reason we have membership. That's why we have our starting point. I love interacting with our starting point class. We had a class this morning. It was our third class. You see, the local church is the very context for fulfilling the command to love one another. Please, don't tell me you can fulfill those 50 plus one another's that we had on the screen a moment ago without the local church or without committed relationships with other believers. You can't fulfill it because there are no one another's in your life. The local church is a context for you to fulfill the very commandments of Christ. It's one of the reasons we have a starting point class and we have a membership. It's not only why we have membership, it's why we build through community groups as well at Palm Vista. See, it's true. You and I don't really need a community group in one sense to study the Bible, right? To listen to a sermon. Oh, but we need a context to love one another. And community groups, and for those who are new, community groups are our small groups and relationships. We meet approximately twice a month in different homes, in different places, in Dade as well as Broward County, to build relationship, to love one another. It's one of the main reasons we have what we call community groups. They're a context for me and for my family to love one another. You know what? To love those who, in many cases, very different than me, very different than us. To love those of different backgrounds, ages, ethnicities, shapes, and sizes. Community groups are an important means at which we connect with people and connect other people to one another. So just don't participate in community groups. Oh, do that. But invite others as well to participate in community groups. Connect them to the one another's of our church that they too could love in the same way as well. That they too can experience the loving community that I believe we're experiencing here at Palm Vista. And if the people that you invite aren't ready to come to a community group, invite them to our church picnic coming up on October 13th as well. In a formal time to meet at Miami Lakes West Park to come together and to connect people with one another. To be the church. You see, being connected in community, you can hear this and think, gosh, just, Corey, one more thing that I got to do. I got to be connected now. Man, one more checklist, put it on my, you know, smartphone, whatever it is, connect with one another. No, it's not just another to-do. It's the very way we do the things that Christ has commanded us to do. It's the means by which we do those very things. And as we see in the last verse of John 13, verse 35 of our text, that is, connecting with one another is an expression and proclamation of the work of the gospel. And that leads to the third and final point. Why does this all matter? That we love one another. Because when we love one another, when we are connected to one another, in such supernatural love and unity, ah, the world, they will notice. This is where the whole teaching goes on steroids, right here, into overdrive. 
Listen, if you are truly evangelistic-minded, you will love one another as Jesus commands. You will be doing all you can in Christ's love and power to connect with those in the church. You may say, I don't know about this inward community group, love one another focus. We need to be mission-minded. We don't just need to be the community. We need to get out into the community. That's you. I agree. I love that thought. It's true. It's biblical. Yes and amen. And Al's going to be talking about that very point next week in our mission statement. But please look at verse 35 again. By this, all people, by this, by your love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you see it? Our love for one another sends a message to the world, to onlookers, that we are followers of Christ. That the community we share right here, you know what? It says this. It's a God thing. It's a gospel thing. True community and connection among us as believers is missional. It's one of the primary ways God has ordained that we reach our wider community, our neighbors. In other words, connecting with one another is not just an end in itself. It's a means to connecting other people to God and to neighbor as well. That's amazing. That's why we're working in our community groups to serve our community through the relationships that we have. That's why we're building community at Palm Vista that we can then export the relationships we have as we go serve others outside of our immediate community that they may see Christ through us, through the love that we have for one another and them as well. Hear these words from Tim Keller. Exceptional character and individuals cannot prove the reality of Christianity. Atheism, as well as many other religions, can also produce individual heroes of unusual moral greatness. Though such individuals may inspire us, it is all too easy to conclude that these individuals are just that, extraordinary heroes who have set unattainable standards for the rest of us. What atheism and other religions cannot produce is the kind of loving community that the gospel produces. Jesus says that the main way people will believe that Christians have found the love of God is by seeing the quality of their life together in community. Church, what are people seeing at Palm Vista Community Church? May they see Christ and his glory, not only through the preached word, but also through your preached lives as you and I love one another. Well, I can invite the worship team to come back up now as we transition to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper as an appropriate response. As I do, do that quietly, team. Let me pray for us. Well, dear Lord, we're speaking about things this morning that in some ways are lofty and, Lord, admittedly beyond us. But, Lord, this morning we're not looking to ourselves. We're looking to you, O Savior, that we would be agents, means and instruments of your love, the very love that you have shown us. So, Lord, would you this morning, even now, root us, ground us in the love of our Savior, and may that love burst forth in expressions of love for one another, that we would stand back, not just the world, but we would say, whoa, where'd that come from? We could say, only by grace, the love of Jesus in me. And may the world see and know 
your love for us and for them as a result. Oh, we pray. Amen. Let's prepare for communion. There are many things that we do here at Palm Vista to foster connection. Right here on Sunday mornings. Two of those things that we do are sacraments of the church. We exercised one sacrament a couple weeks ago. It's called baptism, right? Where individuals are being baptized, we're identifying with Christ in his death and resurrection by being baptized. But not only were they identifying with Christ's death and resurrection, they were identifying with the body. They were saying that I belong to the body of Christ. The baptism also marks a public entrance into the body of Christ. Likewise, this morning, we're partaking of the second sacrament, which is the Lord's Supper, or called communion. In doing so, we are saying, yes, Christ, as a believer, has purchased my salvation through his blood on the cross. But we're also saying this. He has purchased not only me, but he has purchased a people for himself. That's why we take communion together as a people of God. Just give me a minute to make sure everyone has served here so we can partake together. Well, let me close now with the charge for you so you can go pick up your little ones in children's ministry. Hear the words from Ephesians 3, verse 20. Once again. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Church, go now in Christ more than abundant, ever amazing, power and love, and go love one another as Christ has loved you. Amen? Amen. Well, you are dismissed. If you are a guest, we'd love to meet you in the hallway through the double doors to my right right now. Thank you so much. <laughs>